0: Intersection, Intersection. Intersection. Magazine. Magazine Magazine Intersection Magazine Podcast we'll be recording today is really going to be about mental health and um, it's going to have a bit of a format it's supposed to be a look at uh, some of the challenges i've faced over the years so it's part of it is going to be historical Um, there's going to be a sort of order to it so in terms of structure i have a quotation um, on the difference between psychosis and uh, neurosis; it's meant to be a bit of um, a bit humorous, but it helps you understand um, these two ideas. Even if in modern-day psychology, from what I understand, the term psychosis has become more and more unpopular. Um, then I'll take you through some of the books that I've read on um, uh, the mind and mental health. One of them was The Psychology of Intelligence by Piaget, that was back in, I think, the late 90s. Partly it was a desire to learn, but also I remember in those days there was an attraction towards uh, reading books that made you feel like you were smarter than you, you normally were. Then I also have a book that I want to share called Hiding from Love. Um, I suppose I think that one was by John Townsend. Then there's a book, um or rather a character or personality that was famous in the Christian faith called Selwyn Hughes. Um, very popular in, in the faith and the and the subject of um, psychology and the Christian perspectives. Um then I wanted to talk about um concept of Christianity and secular psychology and this is uh, an article I found online from a person who, d- who delved pretty deep into the subject. Then I wanted to talk about also temperaments, um, then of course the subject of m- drugs, or dr- uh, mind altering uh, drugs and remedies. I'm also interested in people who can contribute to this this study in terms of um, natural remedies. And I'm also interested in uh, Christianity and I suppose uh, religions generally and what we call the unseen world. And for that I will share a piece or some extract from the works of Khalil Gibran. Then uh, we'll talk about or share an image uh, on the spectrum about uh, what they call the spectrum or the continuum. Um, then what we normally do or the people that I interacted with it, at least in t- between 2010 and 2008-2011 two um, also usually asked us to uh, look at uh, Hollywood and their depiction of movies that were dealing with the subject of mental health, this I think is really useful. Then I wanted uh, to talk about traditional beliefs and mental health, and then the integration of mental health support across governance and health infrastructure, um, talking about some of the approaches we have, at least in brief in Uganda, and some of the approaches that exist globally, that will be a separate subject, and then um, the concept or the idea of national trauma that is caused by wars, and in part bad governance, then I wanted to share with you a model that I got from my time at Basic Needs, that is uh, quite a long time ago, 2011-2010, and it's a model for mental health treatment. Um, I hope you guys will appreciate this content. It looks a, li- a little bit um, off topic in terms of what I normally tackle but you'll see the relevance especially if you're a person who is building technology or innovation you're in the innovation technology space or the ecosystem you're a founder you're someone who's trying to raise funds um, this world can be well, this world can be very lonely um, Especially for people who are entrepreneurs, because naturally, like uh, Gladwell says, they're you're uh, you're people who were created to think outside the box. Um, you're outliers, and so you know that's bound to being some challenges in terms of uh, facing difficulty, raising raising funds, having people depend on you um, for people of color. Is, is it the black tax and all the people that are dependent on you once you become successful? The naysayers, people who are out to get you, and all sorts of things that go with being in the creative space. And I think also um, you will realize that uh, many people that uh, struggle uh, with mental health issues are usually the people that you'll find have... Um, as, uh, quote unquote, uh, a great or sharp mind, and some people even say that the line between uh, insanity and genius is, is very thin or very narrow. So, I think you'll find this material very useful if you think about some of the challenges that you faced in the creative space, um, of course, as well as your interactions with media as a person who's developing, creating solutions um, for others, whether that's in technology, which is mainly what I deal with with this uh, podcast, but also in uh, creativity in general. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, What I'll try to do is see if I can create some kind of uh, conversation in the magazine as well, so that you can... Get the notes from this podcast uh, when you read the magazine as well. So it's not created to uh, give you a, a solution for everything, but it's just created to give you a rough idea what exists out there, so that you can pick and choose um, what solution will work for you as you as you work on yourself and as you improve yourself. Because so that's the goal that many of us are trying to go after, is just self-improvement. Um, thank you for listening. Let me give you a bit of a background. Um, in terms of faith, um, I was raised in a Christian home. Um, attended a local church. Grew up uh, as part of a youth group until at some point I decided to change churches uh, where I attended two separate churches um, then, in terms of relationships I was uh, to this day I'm really close to uh, people that I was in school within my primary school, partly out of guilt because I think in some regards I was a bit of a brat um And then also, I guess one of the good things about that part-time in my life is I was never really uh, into groups. Uh, You know, I didn't know too much about the in-groups or things of that nature. I just, I tried to create as many friendships as possible. But I was also uh, in part a people-pleaser, so there are times that I'd make fun of people at their expense. And to this day, I remember particular people who I, I made fun of and who I hurt. Um, and I have something that's a bit of a gift, uh, an incredible memory that I can remember conversations I had way, way, way back. I remember them as i well washing watching them on a screen. Difficulty has been in translating that memory into. Um, Everyday activities such as for example my uh, my educational pursuits, how I wish I could remember uh, you know some of the things that I had studied in critical points in my life um, that would have helped me pass in certain parts of, of of examinations that I think would have been important in my life, that said. There are, like many people I've met, there are no regrets, because sometimes what happens is when you go through these kinds of things, they end up forming a core part of your life, and those struggles end up being uh, the necessary steps that decide or that form your character and your learning. Now, a bit of uh, information about mentoring. The people who were instrumental in my life in my teenage years were, were two people, I won't name them. One of them was younger than me, but very smart, very wise, very spiritual. And it was with this younger man that we began to explore uh, all sorts of subjects. Music. He got me interested in the guitar. He uh, got me interested in uh, R and I did listen before, but this was a bit of a bit extra because he was a student in music and art. So some things that I knew practically, he knew practically and in theory. So he introduced me to the guitar and to a deeper understanding of why some pieces of music, especially R&B, were uh, more attractive than others, were more effective than others. So with him we were both teenagers with all sorts of dreams and ideas. and. Um, trying to pursue God or or faith or the divine if you wish. But we are also facing the challenge of growing up in tumultuous times um, and the challenge of um, the changes that people go through in those years as adolescents. So in our interactions, we'd, I'd read books and we'd go back and forth about things that we were going through. And one of the quotations I found was from a book, I can't remember the name, but they said the difference between psychosis and neurosis is they both build castles in the air, but it's just that the neurotic goes ahead and moves in. This is profound because it's, it's, it's a bit comical, but it also reveals the extent at which one is affected by what they see, whether you can see it or not, and so the psychotic is a level lower, or rather, the yes, the psychotic is a level higher than the neurotic in terms of the effect of the hallucinations or the voices that they hear, because they're both seeing. Hearing things, but the other one is moving in and they're creating the moving into the world that they see. The second was a book, as I mentioned, The Psychology of Intelligence. Because both of us at that time were realizing that we were were very knowledgeable in many subjects, and so we wanted to find out. I guess you should, too if you can find the book, read about these perspectives on what intelligence means. These days, there's a lot of information that's uh, been generated in the recent years. They talk about emotional intelligence, spatial intelligence, you know, all those all sorts of ideas. And so, these ideas would be great for you to explore to find out what ch- what you can do to improve yourself, to improve how you interact with people, and I guess to some extent you could also make the argument that, uh, which is usually what people do, is you split up the subject of, of mental health into into two, where you talk about how, it's either how you were raised, uh, nurture, or, or nature, or your environment. And of course some some have also argued about, uh, in connection with how you were raised, uh, the possibility that some illnesses are genetic. Then I came across a book called Hiding From Love, and from what I remember in this book, this was a book by John Townsend, from what I remember in this book it was about how sometimes The very thing that we hide from is the very thing that has a possibility of of bringing us healing. Let me share a story about a young lady I met back in the day at one of the churches that I attended. My favorite thing was to make people laugh and to crack jokes. But I remember one day she looked me straight in the eye and told me, you know, you're funny and all that stuff. But... I want the real you and I remember I felt like, like a bulldozer had just broken down my walls and left me exposed because this person totally saw through me which is what you'll find many people that, have, that are humorous really are, they, they help you laugh, they make you laugh, they, they say what you cannot say. But many people also use their humor to mask um, their real emotions. Then I also attended um, a service by um, a writer back in the day called Selwyn Hughes, and um, got, I think, bits and pieces of his material. But as you'll find out, it uh, in next discussion that we'll be having on Christianity and secular psychology, um, his views or his approach is somewhat controversial. So in the next section we'll be dealing with um, Christianity and secular psychology and what I'll basically be doing is giving you a rough idea, um, some of the arguments that exist and then pointing you towards this particular site so that you can benefit from the information that exists in it. Thank you. Before we go into the next section, let me give you the key ideas in the um, subject or in the book Psychology of Intelligence. I got this uh, summary from the internet um, from a site called link, Blinkist, I guess, Blinkist.com, and it says that um, one of the key ideas in the psychology of intelligence is intelligence is action. Second, adaptation governs all interactions between organisms and their environments. Third, we organize knowledge to adapt cognitively to the world. And intellectual assimilation and accommodation drive cognitive development. The search for equilibrium propels us through discrete stages of cognitive development. In the first stage of development, infants discover the existence of independent objects. 7. Children are egocentric in the pre- Operational stage of development, mastering the principles of conservatism, reversibility and classification mark children's third stage of development, that's number eight, and thought becomes increasingly abstract as it reaches maturity. why I'm going into all of this uh, conversation, mainly because um, I've had a history of some challenges in this and these areas of mental health, and um, I have been diagnosed So, that's why I think this is important for me to discuss. And I think one of the things that has made me want to do this was in the earlier parts of my interaction with uh, people that were helping me, was I read a book by a lady uh, called... K. Redfield Jameson called an unquiet mind, and the book resonated with me. I think it was written in 1995, but the book resonated with me, especially one part which talked about how um, this concept of bipolar disorder, which basically is uh, is is, is characterized by swings you know people go through highs and lows but people with bipolar disorder have extreme highs and extreme lows but I think the title of the book is very useful because it talks about an unquiet mind and I think many of you understand or resonate with this idea that there's sometimes where you just feel completely restless and your mind is running to and fro but as I was saying the thing that Captured my attention about the book was the idea of just how many relationships can be affected in a negative way um, if you don't understand what you're going through, the number of opportunities you will miss, the number of relationships that can be jeopardized uh, because of your condition. So, what we'll do is let me go through, before I go through the subject of Christianity and psychology, let me give you some ideas or some questions um, that might help you when you read the book. And these were shared by a site that summarizes the book, I think it's PenguinRandomHouse.com also I think there is a site called dot and I've put in a search for the ten read memoirs or books of people with bipolar disorder so I think some of you might benefit from that so here it goes, let me give you some questions that you should ask yourself as you're reading the book or at least ideas that she explored um, she talked about One idea she talked about was early childhood and adolescence and the influence of some of those experiences in her future life. She talked about um, the benefits that she experienced as a child uh, uh, born in a military family. She talked about her experiences in graduate school. The ideas about um, uh, how mental health and mind depressive illness were described in the textbooks. Then, in, in the fourth one she talked about was uh, um, the importance of openness and, uh, and the struggle to bring the illness. Or or the challenges that you face with your mental health into the public domain. Another circle, we call that stigma. And then number five, she talks about um, uh, the, the, the challenges or the fears. Because I talks about how um, I suggested some movies that were talking about the subject of mental health, but also uh, figures. I guess I guess she talked about a series of books, um, and you'll find some information on the internet where people that struggle with with manic depression are deified. Uh, capability. Um, although I found some comfort in finding out that some of the stars that I looked up to in Hollywood were actually people who struggled with depression and so, but of course I realised they were also ex- extremely creative. Then number seven she talks about uh, medication. she talks about uh, she wants to start a discussion about um, mood regulation. And then number nine she talks about um, the connection between uh, a study of the subject and her own illness. And number ten. She talks about the difference between the struggle of men with depression and the struggle of women in depression, especially the different roles that they play. And then she talks about loss. And she talks about um, the challenges of steady relationships and mental health. your past can play a major role into your, into what you do in the workplace. And then of course um, the subject of treatment, then 15 I think which is probably the most important for her was whether a person with mental illness was going to be allowed to treat patients with mental illness. Um, if you read about the author of the book she is actually very accomplished academician and a professor in psychiatry at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. I think she started off at um, University of California in Los Angeles as an assistant professor in psychiatry. So that's uh, an unquiet mind. Let's go back or let's go forward. The site I want you to visit, if you want to get a rough idea what uh, some of the ideas exist uh, about psychotherapy and uh, Christian faith or biblical truth, is a site called Depression on the Bible, um, and what he does, the title says that these are arguments about Christianity and its flirtation with secular s- science. And secular sciences views on human thought and development. He also tackles Christian counseling in the United Kingdom, uh, leading psychotherapists in the United States, leading thinkers in cognitive therapy. Um, and then he talks about the theological uh, seminars that championed some of this thinking, and then he describes uh, some of the leading characters. in the the subject of um, Christian counseling. So without going too deep into all of that, um, I think what he basically is trying to do is remind the people of faith, especially the Christian, that um, the word of God is enough or sufficient enough within itself to provide the answers that man needs in dealing with the challenges he faces. Or whatever the source of those challenges is, do they come from your parents? Do they come from your environment? Is do are they genetic challenges? you know, if they come from your parents or do they come from a relative who who did something wrong, Um, you know, how do you deal with these challenges, do you have to go back into your history, Um, you know, how do you interact with with others based on what you've experienced, how do you react or how do you approach uh, remedies. Do you go for medication? So the subject is, I suppose, is broad. Even if in this context we're talking about mental health, but he, these are the ideas that he's basically talking about. And one of the subjects he 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 tackles this is what he calls the therapeutic gospel. Um, and what he says is, it's basically. Um, Trying to give people comfort in the challenges they face, as opposed to talking about the possibility that there is actually something that has gone wrong in the relationship between God and man. These are interesting ideas that I think you could explore with people who are in other faiths. The understanding of mental health, whether that's uh, Muslims, or whether that's Hindus, whether that's Buddhists, um, you could also interact with people who are not necessarily subscribing to a faith. What do atheists say about mental health? You know, is it simply the power of the Human will to heal itself um, to overcome these challenges is it simply an act of meditation uh, through the champions of the meditation movement, whether that's yoga or you know, a subscription to. Concepts in Eastern faiths about um, achieving uh, the highest form of freedom for yourself or, or whatever that entails. And so, those are all subjects that, that can be explored. And so, in terms of uh, establishing the growth of the Christian movement, he He, or the authors of this page, link it to Fuller Theological Seminary, um, and their liberal view on scripture, especially at the School of Psychology, and then he describes key personalities such as James Dobson, Bruce Naramore, Gary Collins, and Tim LaHaye, incidentally, one of my plans in this podcast was also to talk about. temperaments because I also studied a book by Tim LaHaye which talked about um, temperaments. And I suppose Tim LaHaye's approach was to describe the temperaments as, the four temperaments as we know them, that's choleric, sanguine, phlegmatic. With that, and to describe the, how to use them to your benefit as a person of faith. So most of what the author of this article is saying is that there was an effort to utilize uh, concepts that were in his view secular and to integrate them into a setting, into a Christian setting which the author of this article feels is wrong, but of course I leave you to decide what you're going to do because um, hopefully, if you read this material, that you'll find um, something that will help you in your journey because we're all trying to—at least I hope we're all trying to heal ourselves. So he goes into. Evelyn Hughes, Larry Crabb, and some of the important people who who shaped psychological theory uh, he describes Sigmund Freud and people who followed Sigmund Freud. He describes Carl Rogers, um, Albert Ellis. Um, talks about Maslow. some of their teachings to those that he believes have invaded or have taken over the church or the faith and uh, he calls them the foolish giants of psychotherapy <laughs> anyhow um, I'll let you decide after I read the article and it's just one piece of information that that you could Pick for yourself. Now, in terms of um, solutions, it's useful, I think, also to to be able to identify the difference between mental health and mental illness. So that's what we will tackle in the next section. for this distinction between mental health and mental illness is from a site called Youth Smart, I think it's Canadian. And um, the distinction between these two is important. They say that for mental health, they say when someone is speaking about their mental health, they're referring to their overall mental well-being, emotions, thoughts, feelings, ways of understanding, coping with stressors, resiliency, etc. We all work hard to keep our bodies healthy, but what about our minds? So just like our physical health, it's important to make sure that we keep our mental health in check to prevent challenges that we may face down the road. Now, mental illness is a health challenge that affects the way we think about ourselves, relate to others, and interact with the world. These disorders severely affect and impact how we conduct our thoughts, actions, and behaviors on a day-to-day basis. The writers say there is no single cause for mental illness. However, you can identify different factors that explain why you're experiencing those challenges. Now, what I like about this definition for mental illness is it says it affects the way we think about ourselves, how we relate with others, and then how we interact with the world. So, in your studies, whether that's If you subscribe to the Christian faith, or if you subscribe to the Muslim faith, if you're a Hindu, if you're a Buddhist, if you're an atheist, if you're looking for a remedy, I suggest that in terms of your study of your own illness, you look into how you're thinking about yourself, how you're relating to others, on how you are interacting with the world. So look for solutions that help you in those three areas. If your Bible helps you to think better about yourself, to relate to others and to interact with the world, then go with that. If your Quran helps you to do that, You have come up with your own ideas or concepts through your own research that helps you think about yourselves, help you relate to others, help you interact with the world and go with that. But I think you realize that there is a challenge that we face, uh, especially in the extremes that that exist in mental health and wellness. Because not everybody you meet will be in a position where they can help themselves. Which is why there is a use in understanding the existence of what people call a spectrum or a continuum. And some people have actually referred to the idea that, it, that these um, areas are not linear, they actually overlap. And that's some of the thinking that exists in the current day. What you can do is use your search engine to do a search on mental health or mental illness or do a search on a continuum of mental health uh, spectrum to get a rough idea what exists, where you fall, or what remedies you can find to help you. So, with, in a sense, we've tackled um, definitions. We've tackled um, faith, or uh, at least one particular faith, and perspectives of that faith uh, as relates to some of the thinking in secular circles or in psychology, uh, which many of you have already probably dealt with. Um, Usually, for first-year students in university, you do a, a course on psychology, so some of you have a basic understanding. Maybe the next part that might be useful is uh, remedies, um, at least for those with bipolar. Um, there are usually two ways to go about this, at least that I've experienced. There is a standard way in which you, uh, for, for those that have used lithium before, is where you go going for a blood sample, and based on the blood sample, decisions are made. Then there are antipsychotic medicines, but as I said before, the difference between psychosis and neurosis um, has been described. Um, and then they talk about what they call what they call cycling, uh, which is defined as a, someone who quickly changes from highs to lows without a normal period in between. Suggestion. They make a suggestion. Learning to recognize triggers. Um, in addition, some of the people that I've interacted with that have helped me also recommended healthy eating, exercise, uh, reading, uh, listening to music, checking. Uh, Short walks or long walks. Um, Personally, I also appreciated um, painting uh, for my years, but since I've been here and been diagnosed, I've spent a lot of time pursuing my hobbies such as painting, once in a while playing chess, writing. Of course, also some educational pursuits, but um, one of the things that I think I've benefited from. Development, human rights, um, recovery, integration, quality. Now those are actually um, ideas from a pivot that they've done ever since. Um, they made some changes to their structure and organization. But let me give you um, the model as it stood. building, community mental health, sustainable livelihoods, research and policy, and program management. The most important part for me that I benefited from was sustainable livelihoods. And what they did, or what they encouraged for me to do, or or one of the things that they felt was very important was people with mental health problems. were encouraged to carry out income-generating activities, and to, if possible, go back to work, so that they would feel, they would quickly get integrated back into the system, and they would feel like they were uh, making a contribution. This is important for them, but also it's important for those in the workplace, and one of the things that I think we need to work on was or is to create workplaces that are conducive for the integration of people with mental health challenges and that's a broad subject so it's really up to your organizations to look into this area and um, see what you can do to improve it. then, naturally, of course, um, the subject of community mental health, looking at your health policies, your strategic plan, uh, combining what you do locally with what happens globally, participation in Mental Health Day or World Mental Health Day, um, building capacity. What are the latest research areas that exist in mental health? What kind of policies can you put in place? Um, you know, what, uh, how well equipped are your health facilities with, with medication? Is medication affordable? Are there possibilities of integrating traditional medicine into these kinds of areas? What programs have you established in your locality? To help people that are coming from uh, areas that are faced uh, devastation from war, displacement, um, family wrangles—all those things are important for you to pursue. Um, so, those those are basic ideas about the model. With regards to maybe some of the movies or some of the film that exist that describe don't talk about the subject, maybe a little bit about traditional belief. In the final section, I want to share with you a quote from Khalil Gibran. And this is an, um, an author, I suppose, Persian author, and so his perspectives are, are not um, exclusively religious. But I think he presents some interesting ideas for those who want to understand a little bit more about life and what they go through and he says he who cannot see the angels and devils out of the beauty and malice of life will be far removed from knowledge and his spirit will be empty of affection. And I think the important idea behind what he's saying is what about or what if there exists supernatural world that governs how men and women living on this natural earth are affected? What if there exists an unseen world that's determining how you're living and what you're seeing? What if there are people out there that the ability to access this world, this invisible world, what if they are angels and devils that are determining how we interact. The implications of his quotation in my view are vast and I leave that to you as you think about the subject of mental health. And this probably linked to one of the ideas that I mentioned that I'd be talking about and that's traditional belief and mental health. And if you at least in my locality, if you interact with people and ask them about mental health, in the local language for example, we call it or well, they call it Okuwa Edalu, which means literally Dalu is Dalu is another word for Bad manners, and it's um, the connection with mental health or mental illness with bad upbringing. And so, the default for most people is to think of a person with a mental health challenge as, or rather, with a mental illness as being someone who had a bad upbringing, and the solution is therefore to punish them. The other thing that we've seen in these circles, and this is probably universal, is most communities um, in in the less developed world will probably um, put the person with a mental health challenge behind a closed door. And they will hide them there out of shame. Um, so that further complicates the life of the person with a mental health challenge, especially if it's a severe disorder, um, which is different when you go to some developed countries because there are special schools that are created to help people with severe challenges to get integrated back into or or integrated into the system as it exists. So that's a little bit in terms of what exists in traditional belief in places uh, that I am familiar with. Now probably at a later point I will share some of the research that exists in organizations that have done more extensive work in different areas of the world where they've used very effective models in determining, for example, number of uh, qualified psychotic or uh, health professionals, mental health professionals, number of Access in terms of physical access to mental health facilities, availability of medication, um, structure of um, health facilities, for example in Uganda we have uh, a, f- a five tier structure that has a health center 1, health center 2, health center 3, health center 4, health center 5. And the health center 5 is usually what they call the regional hospital. And as, as the numbers increase, so do the, uh, the access to facilities. At least that's how it's designed to work. So, in our interactions with communities and the work that some of the brief work that I was able to do, they were, we were pretty much trying to map out how accessible these services are and if uh, people that want to use these services are using these services. And then if possible equipping people at the village level with basic basic skills to where they can detect uh, mental illness challenges at the local level and direct people with mental health challenges to appropriate uh, health officers and then identifying the hierarchy of health officials from village level to district level and making sure that each of those people at those levels was effectively equipped um, uh, to deal with challenges especially in our case for areas that are uh, post-conflict Now, the final of course, is the discussion of um, the current age in which we live. We're flooded with all sorts of messages on social media. Uh, our gadgets have become our lifeline. Appearances uh, affect us. Comments, likes, retweets. Um, we are increasingly captivated by what people look like. We are attracted to good messages. Very few of us want to see what reality people are facing. We turn off negative messages even if some of the negative messages are more realistic so there are challenges that maybe people in this generation are facing that people in the past never had to deal with and so we need to take mental health very seriously we need to find a way of communicating when we feel Depressed. We need to find a way of expressing ourselves. We need to find a way of um, possibly getting out a little bit more often. Learning how to interact beyond the media that we interact with. I, for one, for example, have found a greater benefit interacting or learning from film, social media, than I have from interacting with people, and maybe that needs to change. But on the side there, I think, when I mentioned my mentors, the people that I found most effective were people that were brave enough to to fail openly, or at least not to hide who they were, were easier to follow because I knew what I was working with as opposed to those who for example were hiding. So in your efforts to mentor others I suggest that you create a strategy that allows you to be transparent because I think those who are following you are dependent heavily on your transparency and your honesty and you'll find that you are able to make an increasingly positive uh, impact on society i hope you guys have enjoyed this episode Um, I don't currently have the option of comments, but I'll see if I can activate that on the podcast. Um, I'll share this as I normally do on LinkedIn, and on Twitter, and probably on some of the other platforms. Hopefully, you guys have benefited. So, thank you for listening.